Welcome everybody to the True Potential in China video and podcast. My name is Daniel Harrison, Chief Executive at True Potential, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my fellow travelers, Jeff Carson, David Harrison, and Mark Henderson. Today we're going to be talking and giving an insight into the UBS Greater China Conference, which we attended last week in Shanghai, China. It was a fascinating four days away, really, and a chance to get to know another side of the world and to really help us with our mission to do more at True Potential. Before we really get into detail, um, welcome everybody. And Jeff, if you wouldn't mind kicking off, just letting us know what you wanted to achieve, what you wanted to get out of the conference. So for me, it was about being able to be immersed in China for for a few days to get a clearer understanding of what's happening and、yeah. to have no distractions. And I think ultimately, to take away from it what was going to be China's response to the signing of the trade deal, how should we think about Chinese growth in 2020 and beyond? Great, David.、Um, fairly similar. I think that it, it pays to well, CPP has always done this. It pays to look out rather than in. Um, so you can't look any farther out, if you like, than China. We're in Martin Island in Hong Kong recently, and the difference between Hong Kong and Shanghai was good to see. So it's really that. It, 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 it's it's you know it's it's a long way to go, a long way to come back.、Um, but it's amazing what you see when you're not really looking. So what what type of differences, David, did you see between Hong Kong and and, and Shanghai? Well. <laughs> Apart from riots and things like that,、um, I think a lack of police, almost total lack of police in Shanghai.、Yeah. They were there, and there were different sizes of police. There were normal-sized policemen, and some about six foot five tall,、yeah. uh, who were, and they all looked exactly the same height. It all sounds silly, but they're the ones with the, with the really、uh, hard gear on.、Um, but you hardly ever saw them. And certainly, we were in the financial area, but then we went into the older、um, concession areas.、Um, so that I mean, another big difference, I, I suppose, in Hong Kong. The big difference in Hong Kong and Britain, and China and Britain, there absolutely no. If you are, for example, disabled, there's not a single disabled ramp anywhere. Not a single disabled toilet anywhere that I saw.、Mm. Um, Uh, and it's a good place if you're looking to get disabled. Have a wander in Shanghai if you're、it's、not scooters. Talk about later, yeah. yeah. <laughs>、uh, with the little silent but deadly scooters zooming everywhere, and you think,、uh, I, I'm told that this is a police state, and yet you've got people breaking the law all over the place. In the same sort of way that you know, if, I suppose people from North London would be used to scooters coming up on them and nicking their phones.、Um, there wasn't any of that. I、no. think. I think that that would have been a bit too far, and the cameras. Yeah. And the difference is actually the big difference. You don't see that level of camera、uh, no, exposure I, I, in Hong Kong. I made a note of that, David. About the, the cameras, it was everywhere you looked. Everywhere.、Um, even down, I remember remarking with Jeff one afternoon we were out for a walk. We're just going across the zebra crossing, and right in front of you was a video screen showing you crossing the road. And your face popped、yes. up at the top.、Yes. So it was a very overt way, I think, of saying we're watching you. You know, you're, you're recorded. We know where you are. So definitely no mobile phone theft. No, I, I, I mean, I remember, I remember that moment because you all joked to say, as you're watching this, you can see yourself getting run over <laughs> by a scooter. You, by a scooter yeah. coming yeah. through. Because, yeah, by a scooter, and one did shoot by. Yeah. You know, so、um, they obviously haven't got facial recognition、yeah. for that, but because they had masks on and things like this. Interesting to see as well in Hong Kong,、um, they banned the use of masks, and now they're saying you've got to have masks. You've got to have the masks back on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for a different serious reason.、Yeah. Uh, Mark, just kicking off with the Hong Kong part, just following on from David, I think it was yourself who mentioned that Hong Kong gets a lot of plaudits for like, the skyline, how it looks,、yeah. the financial district. But I think it was you, Kenny, said this is a far more impressive skyline. It is, Dan.、Uh, Hong Kong is impressive. Yeah. You know, depending on which side of the river you're on, you'll get a better view. The Kowloon side, looking onto Hong Kong Island, is spectacular. But the size of Shanghai dwarfs Hong Kong. Right. And、uh, you know, we talked to other people when we got back. Others who've been there and they say it's twice the size of New York. Yeah. The high-rise buildings and the the light show at night is something that you know everybody should get the chance to go and see、yeah. if they yeah. can. Yeah. It was impressive that evening when we were at the asset management dinner、yeah. and we were looking out because we were 
almost had a juxtaposition between the river so we could see down the Bund on one side and yeah. see the Pudong district where financial side of things sits and that, that was an impressive view and the, the light show was, was, was something else wasn't it, it? It was interesting as well Dan because from a climate point of view Hong Kong is a lot friendlier than, than Shanghai yeah. you know 18 degrees down in Hong Kong when it was about four or five yeah. when we were up in Shanghai. One thing I did notice is when we drove in and later on there was a significant level of, of haze yeah. um, in, in Shanghai and it was something that the, 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 um, the, the, um, the, the Chinese official actually apologised for to the audience at the opening of the conference. Um, but as we saw throughout the two days that we were there, the significant moves being made within China to address problems like that. There's certainly a lot of talk about it. I know we're going to get on to the sessions later on, but there was a lot of electric vehicles, yeah. ASG yeah. side of things. But it was interesting with the haze because, you know, Mark, you and I were there two years ago, um, and I felt even kicked on two years. Yeah. It was significant. Yes. Uh, and, and Jeff. Which is interesting you know, when years. you think about the, the environmental standards and how they've changed within China. Yeah. Yeah, we're still discussing a pollution problem. We are. And there's still a, you know, still a haze that you have to deal with. And you know, if I think about it from, from five years ago, um, Shanghai Tower wasn't finished. Yes. It's now finished, second tallest building in the world. But even from there, you can't see that far no. because of the haze. Well, that's it, because we got the elevator up, didn't we? The fastest elevator in the yeah. world. It takes 55 seconds yeah. to go a lot of floors. Yeah. And yeah, we couldn't see, could we? Mm. Yeah. I think, Dan, it's yeah. safe to say it's a, it's a, a city in a country of extremes. Mm. You know, David said before about Nelly being knocked over by somebody on an electric scooter, but you just have to lift your eye line up to the river and see the freight that's yeah. going up and down. And when we were, were, were you know, close to them, the diesel fumes that were coming yeah. off the shipping yeah. going up and down the river was at a real extreme to the, the, the steps which have been made with the, the you know, passenger vehicles in the city itself. But that, that also is a contrast, I think, with China. I, I counted one afternoon just out of interest that uh, certainly in Hong Kong Islands, uh, where we were, I would say one in five, Mark, one in five, one in six cars were electric. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a, a huge difference to probably anywhere else in the world. Uh, out of those, a good 50 to 60% of those were Tesla. Yes. So we had you got used to this Tesla mark in Hong Kong. In Shanghai, most of the, most of the traffic wasn't electric. It was combustion. Yeah. Um, and the electric cars in the main were German, uh, BMWs and BMWs. And some Audis. There. Maybe to build on that point, it's interesting that we've just seen Tesla open the, the Gigafactory outside Gigafactory. Shanghai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we heard from the the chairperson of the municipal government, how important that was and how they're really targeting yeah. electric vehicles and the opportunity that that can, can bring. But I think he said there was 400,000 electric vehicles today. Yeah. In, in Shanghai, Shanghai itself, yeah. right, yeah. Suppose when you then look at the population of Shanghai, which is what, 24 million or so? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a small number. It is, but it's, it's growing. It's a start. Yeah, yeah. And probably just linking onto there and onto the, the conference agenda itself, Jeff, would you mind just sharing with the audience what the overall theme was from the conference, please? Yeah, I think, think for us, the overall theme, and I think the theme that UBS were wanting to, all of us to take away is the real opportunity that China has, yeah. and to not underappreciate the, the scale of the growth opportunity that China is actually delivering to the global economy. I think, as David mentioned, China is accounting for 28, 29% of global growth. Mm -hmm. That's a, a very significant number if we put that in contrast of what the likes of an India is delivering or what the UK is delivering. It's twice India and it's nearly, I think the UK is about one, one and a half times. Yeah. One, so 1.4%. 1.4%. Yeah. So there we go. Versus 28%. So, yeah. And the US 10%. That, that is the opportunity. Yeah. And that's what I think we all need to keep in mind that whilst we hear the growth rate in China is slowing, mm -hmm. the actual dollar value of that growth is very significant. It's still phenomenal. Right? And size, yeah. looking at some of the numbers, it's, it's the equivalent of adding a, a turkey to the global economy right. on an annual basis. Yeah, not the bird, the, the country. The country. The country. Yes. <laughs> Just, that's not for the audience. The audience <laughs> would understand. It's the, my colleagues. For me, Dan, the, the, <laughs> one of the reasons for going was, was what Jeff was saying there, the, the investment opportunities that are on China. Yeah. You know, we hear about China, the news flows 
been steady and increasing over the, over the last few months with the trade wars and Trump, you know, um, whatever he's, he's, he's trying to achieve there. But for us and for our clients, we can't ignore China. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the quotes that I picked up there was, you can't be a credible global investment manager if you're not in China. Yeah. And for us, I wanted to see um, whether there was a, a Western interpretation on the news flow that comes out of China. And I, there's no better way than, than finding out than being there being yourself there. Yeah. and hearing it from, from the UBS with so many Asian speakers there. Um, it, was, it was to get the balance. Yeah, I think it's, it's, yeah. it's you're absolutely right, Mark. And I think as, as Jeff had mentioned before, there's, there's no better way of learning than being fully immersed in, in where you are. And, you know, probably from a, more, from a softer point of view rather than a business, you, you, you do realise how small we really are yeah. in the world, you know, there was, like, we were really few and far between in terms of Western faces versus Asian faces. Even at the conference itself, there was nearly three and a half thousand guests and speakers at, at the conference across the 47, 48 sessions. Yeah. And, you know, very much the outlook on, on Asia and on, on, mm -hmm. on China and, and the specialists uh, within there. It's quite fascinating. I think it probably really resonates with the, the whole diversification story which we try to tell at True Potential, which is don't just look inward. It's, it's vital we look east, it's vital we look west, uh, north and south, and really spread our investment message yeah. there. And, and yeah, for me, I went away with a feeling which is there's no kind of better area to talk about diversification than a hub such as Shanghai. Yeah, we, we noticed that, you know, we were there two years ago, you and I, and there's places that we went to, we walked through, which are now considerably more built up than, yeah. the, than they were. Mm -hmm. And that was on the, the, the financial district side of things. Over on the old bun side in the distance, there were still construction yeah. cranes. Um, not to the extent that you have in London, because no, London is still... I found, I found that interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There weren't, there was, the. It was not the. It wasn't apparent that they were building as fast as they must have been building. Yeah. Um, certainly, because obviously London is much more condensed, if you like. Um, but it, it struck me two or three things caught my eye. One was that we we travelled for best part of an hour in a car to get from the airport, which is in Shanghai, mm. still in Shanghai, to the centre of Shanghai. Um, and we were passed only by like one very fast vehicle, which my German colleague told me that Germans gave them that, um, which is the the Maglev uh, yeah. train, which went by two hundred odd miles an hour, yeah. which I missed. I was looking out the other window <laughs> and I heard the noise. And, um, but the size of it is twenty four million. Something interesting in the news here last night: the fact that they were sh showing you in Wuhan province, um, the, the sort of stuff that were going on there. Not that long ago, China wouldn't have told you they had a problem. Mm. You just felt ill one day and it came from China. Mm. Yeah. Now they're saying, look, you know, and, and they're willing to have planes diverted or put in special terminals in Heathrow so they can kind of check them and they're going to be asked for details of where you're going, yeah. what you're up to, if you're feeling poorly, let people know. So I think that's, that's visible signs of true opening up rather than somebody saying it, the fact that it's been done and you know this is coronavirus or I don't know what's yeah. coronavirus Corona. or yeah. coronavirus which someone say you've had too much to drink but is that a, is that a drink corona? There's <laughs> a drink in this office. I think yeah. Yeah. So that's a Mexican virus <laughs> that's gone to China been drunk by a bat and passed on to a human. Um, my understanding of it is, that, you know. And I think that's accurate, David. Yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> Which is an interesting contrast, if you think back 17 years ago, as to what happened with SARS. Yep. Yeah. And that gives you a real indication of just how China has, has embraced the world, how it has opened up, and how it is addressing issues as they come to the fore today. Yep. So it's, it's really changing. It is. Uh, I think, um, probably David, on, on, on a wider point of view, if we keep just looking at China as a as a, a country rather than looking at the, yeah. the, the investment side of things. What key learning do you think you've, you've taken from China in terms of you know, what, well, it, what it could mean to us at true potential or, or to our yeah. investors as well? I've, I've been not fascinated with China, but I've been interested in China for 30 odd years. I've got books, as you know, in my library about China, 
you know, the future giant, all this thing when it was already a giant. Uh, so, I, I, and many books on Silk Roads and, you know, the, the latest Silk Road book and, and so on and so forth. What's interesting, Asia on its, on its own, which is China, India, a few others, it just dwarfs the rest of the world. So what you've said, that quote is quite right. China on its own dwarfs anything. The difference between India and China is stark. India's not even begun. No. China, and of course, yes, the Chinese are doing practices, which, which really was an interesting thing, Daniel, I think, on the main plenary speakers, where there was a, a gentleman from I think San Diego University, yeah, was, yes. um, who quickly became a kind of mini Trump although he was pretending not to be. There was an American court in between who didn't know where to sit. You had Madame Wu, who she, she began off as a full name, but then the Chinese uh, guy was, uh, so Madame Wu, and I thought, well, she's important. Of course she was. She was in government, but she'd been hiding that behind the, the kind of, she'd been some sort of academic and things. But when she got bristled by the guy saying, you know, we've took over South China Sea, you've even called the sea, South China Sea, and she repulsed with, you know, well, that, what are you going to do about the Indian Ocean? And you think, name the Indian Ocean after India, maybe India should claim it, you know. So I just thought the, the, that interesting point there is that the, their view is, you've, you've done what you wanted to do, yeah. USA, allow us to do what we want to do. USA is, you, 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 you steal, basically, you're stealing property, uh, and, and, and so on. And I think it, between the two of them, it's correct. I mean, the Americans have a different way of enforcing what they want. And he was even saying, you know, the fact that we send gunboats all over the world, you should be pleased with that. And you think, well, I don't know if I was an Iraqi, you know, 20 years ago, I wasn't quite pleased that he absolutely buggered my country up. But you still think of that as being a good thing in the mess afterwards. But the Chinese do something very different, which is to lend money to, to nations, mm -hmm. you know, and then use Chinese labor and, and companies to build those nations, which is, no, it's just a fancy way. There's belts and braces, belts and road. Thing. What I also found interesting is you go into China, you've got fingerprints, but the first thing is to recognize is facial recognition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you get your visa, they have a little camera will click when you're talking to them, so they've taken your, their authentic version of you, as well as the passport. They've also taken your passport off you for a week. So anything you've ever done, anywhere you've ever been to do with a passport, that's in their database in China. When you enter China, they don't need to do anything. Just recognize your face, just double checking that you haven't swapped fingers on the flight out, and you're in. So that sort of stuff is alien to us, you know, but I think that, I don't know, Daniel, things such as the quotes that you've heard. I mean, I, I, somebody's talking about Starbucks doing well and probably the only mm -hmm. Western consumer company that's done really well in China. Very much so. Um, so they're opening maybe one store a day, something yeah. like that. It was so, close to two in the end, David. Close to yeah. two. Yeah. However, looking coffee, L-U-C-K-I-N, looking coffee, that looks remarkably like a Starbucks outlet um, getting back to you've copied it. Well, it's coffee, you know. The like cafe Nero is nothing. It's just coffee, you know. You just in London, you pay a lot of money for coffee because you're foolish. They they're the same. So a couple of things there. Looking coffee are opening officially one new store in China alone every three and a half hours. So there's just the planning around that, the, the ability to open in different cities, yeah. and there are lots of cities in China, one new place every three and a half hours. Never mind signing people up for the franchise, never mind, the whole thing is staggering. I think one of the, the things that, that they're doing is using technology to enable that yeah. Yeah. speed of opening, and if, if there was another thing that we could take away from it, it was just how technology is being used in China. So yeah. we saw, we, we, we speak a little bit about the electric scooters, but obviously there's always the bikes. Yeah. So yeah. The, the Boris bikes where you could effectively open them with your telephone yep. um, and various other ways of payment. So We had them in the, Newcastle, but they threw them in the River Tain, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, we yeah, had to get rid of them. Had to yeah. get rid of them because, you know, yeah. every Friday night, yeah. Saturday night, yeah. two-thirds of the, the bike uh, 
estate went into the river. But, but inter- I mean, linked really well with Jefferson at the payment side of things there is that very much, and I think it's probably a, a big brother-esque as well to keep a track on everybody, is the, yeah. the WePay system. Yeah. Uh, WePay being very much a dominant platform, probably not a platform we'd recognise over here as far as it's, it's payments, it's message. so it's a bit like PayPal, it's a bit like WhatsApp yep. as far as your messaging, it's a bit like Facebook as far as it's the social yep. side of things as well, amongst other things. So, so there's huge data repository across one platform. And one of the things I noticed, which I didn't necessarily spot two years ago, a lot of the restaurants now, you can just pay there and then, so you don't even need to talk to a waitress or a waiter. And I think that's the thing, if we think about a cashless society, yeah. China is potentially closer to being a cashless society yeah. than yeah. a lot of others because people are already using their mobile phone yeah. and platforms as a means of payment. It the is. vast majority could survive without, without any cash in their wallet. We all, we all got cash out, didn't we, to go? Yes. And we brought so we much brought, of it back. Yeah. So a bit like Neil Johnson, who you take some cash and bring more back because <laughs> you pick the tips up off the table and things like this if you're not looking. But you couldn't, you, 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 you didn't even know if tipping was needed or not, although we, we did. Yeah. And probably, you know, we should have got smaller denominations because we made some people quite rich, I think, for five minutes' yeah. work. But the cashless society, I, 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 the thing I was looking at was the AI stuff, Daniel. So mm-hmm. I tried to attend all those workshops yeah. and also the evidence labs and, and things like this that they've got. And there's good news and bad news for me there. I mean, the, the good news is it's there. Yeah. And sooner or later, somebody will make sense of it. Um, the bad news is it can't, bits of it can be very intrusive and in the wrong hands, clearly, you know, and I think it's probably in the wrong hands. I think from, if you believe the rumours, that the Chinese maybe are relaxed on the streets because they know where everybody is. I would think that would be incredible if that's true, but certainly there are a lot of... Uh, I lot don't of think it would be beyond the, the winter man, David, again, going back to the, the kind of WePay platform. I remember Mark and I were there last two years ago. People are now starting to get, you know, authorised for, for credit, for yeah. loans, based on their activity on WePay. So not just how you're spending, but what type of websites you're looking yes. at, what type of messaging. Yeah. So that level of intrusiveness is there, and I can only assume the Chinese citizens are relaxed with it, otherwise you wouldn't use the platform, unless they go completely cash-free and you have to use yeah. that platform. Which is, which is where we're getting, which I thought we got, we were yes. there. Yeah. Certainly in the, uh, in the financial centre, when we were across on the other side, if you like, when we crossed in East, East Shanghai, mm. um, yeah, East Shanghai, no, West Shanghai. West. West. West yeah. um, the, uh, it, it, and as soon as you got off the street and into sort of markets and things, like, as, as you know, you know, um, a lady grabbed us and I said, you know, how many people are with you? I said, well, there's another 10 coming around the corner and they've got money. <laughs> <laughs> Leave us alone. But yeah. Daniel had to buy, a, 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 or wanted to buy a toy for his son. I ended up paying, I think, the equivalent of like 12 quid for something which... It's worth four quid. Four pounds in Britain, including the, including the battery. <laughs> and it was quite annoying, little noise all the time. I don't know if you well, could switch it switch off. Switch it yeah. off, you know. So, um, but it, the, the, there was cashews there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's a bit, I, I mean, it's a bit for me when you go to London. I remember years ago going into a pub and people would put the card behind the bar, which to me was alien. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and still is. I mean, I'm still not that relaxed about not giving the car away. I mean, I still pay for taxis and cash, you know, mm. and so on and so forth. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's a journey. They've already made it on that side of the yeah. river. They were not using cash for anything at all. No, no. You couldn't really tip them, or we did tip them. But, but uh, it, you know. I, I think this is why they're so keen on 5G. As, mm. as well, you know, you and I, are, we, we attended the 5G big seminar. Game changer big talk day. about because we said, what could it mean to true potential? So yeah. Probably not a lot, actually, in the way that true potential clients and advisors currently consume the data, short of it being faster. But for a society, or just society full stop, what 5G means is the network bandwidth, the capacity, means that for the first time ever, 
every device can be connected yeah. properly. Mm -hmm. You know, right now we're still kind of constrained by wires. You know, even fiber optic and things, there still has to be a level of a network there and a Wi-Fi because simply, if you put out a 4G network right now, you you crash it down. Five G is is many more times you know vast. So when we're looking from surveillance, every single camera can be easily deployed more in the future. Just pop a five G chip in them. We don't need any, anything else. Across the cash payments, so as you start looking at probably old Shanghai, so to speak, yeah. it's going to be a lot more in, easy just to start putting 5G machines in there for people to pay. Out and I suppose in China, it's not just a commercial interest either. Yeah. You've got the government that want 5G to be to be pushed out and rolled out with, was it, I think, 14,000 base stations in Shanghai yeah. within the next couple of years. Yeah. So yeah. they will be the first country to probably operate a 5G yeah. network. And you, and you can see why. And Absolutely. Jeff, as well, when we're talking about trade wars, which we we focus in on mm -hmm. trade wars, they very quickly moved it away from calling it trade wars to technology wars. That's yes. right. Yes. Just actually link with that, Mark. That's you know because the the, the trade agreement was signed when we were over there, which yep. I think was probably don't you? It was. Yeah. It was. Um, so well done, Mark, for pushing the world on. Yeah. Uh, but they, they called it phase one. Um, Kind of, so what? With what, that pen With down. that very pen, Mark Trump. Um, what does it mean, Mark? So, can it, so what to true potential investors? Well, it came at a, a time, Dan, when, when there, was, there was stability coming in the UK after the general election. Yeah. And the, the other big uncertainty that has been hanging over markets for the past, say, 12 to 18 months yeah. has been the trade wars. So the signing of that brought stability, and there was an instant reaction to that as well. This is stage one. What it involves is about 40 to 50 billion pounds of agricultural purchases from, from the US by China. In return, Trump will take away a 5% uh, tariff increase. There was, a, um, there was a vote by the audience um, in, in one of the sessions who attended with Jeff, say, you know, what, what do you think will come next? Mm -hmm. And the general consensus there from everybody would be, things will be pretty much the same. There won't be a further escalation. Things won't get too much better, but certainly they won't get too much worse as well. So I think that, that what, what, it's, what it means to, to our clients is that we can continue to look at the global diversification that we've got, but without the threat of major disruption from um, the, 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 the trade wars, phony or not. Got it. Yeah. I think to maybe build on that point, it's, it's very much from a, a US perspective that the trade war needs to be agreed or placated, um, given it's an election year. Yes. Mr. Mr. Trump wants re-elected and to have a trade war in the background was not good from yeah. a, an economic perspective. So to have that, that first aspect of it put to bed as a positive, I think just building on what we've been touching on, the issues around intellectual property and the harder aspects of the trade deal haven't been resolved. Mm. So they're still in the background um, and that will take a lot of time to, to renegotiate or to negotiate away. And do you think, Jeff, this was what was linked with what they were saying phase two? I, I, I think that was the interesting thing. I think yeah. It kind of split the audience in some of the sort of the, the polling that was done. Will there be a phase two? Will there not be a phase yeah. two? And there are, there are many aspects of phase two that maybe doesn't come to fruition. Yeah. And it just takes time over a longer period of time to negotiate. I think the other aspect of that is China's not going to stand still and wait to negotiate yeah. something. A lot of the discussion around some of the sessions was just how China's going to invest much more in its domestic technology industry. Yeah. So one of the things we heard was that we will see more investment in semiconductor manufacture in China. In China. We won't see it being sourced from, from the US. Or even Taiwan. Yeah. They will, they will yeah. become yeah. what they want to become independent and that's the Made in China 2025. So I think Jeff David was, was talking about the technology and this, this ambition of the Chinese to truly mean made in China for yep. all of their parts. What, what, what was, there's two or three things for me, Daniel, that, that get, getting down into the detail of where these things go. So um, the Trump situation there is it's a bit like Britain with Brexit and stuff like this. Uh, anything, we know, I mean, everybody who's listening, and we know the media will look for anything bad anywhere in the world, that's it. I mean, even the poor so-called president of Venezuela had to pop up in Britain because all of a sudden Venezuela doesn't exist anymore. And yet the amount of refugees going from Venezuela to Colombia 
It's much greater by many times than anybody's ever come out of Syria. But because it doesn't suit the sort of elite media, it's no longer, it doesn't, for now, Venezuela doesn't exist. Um, so when you look at the, the, the Trump situation and the Boris Johnson situation, all the rest of it, these things get so overblown that by now, I think most people are actually used to it. I think we're used to dumbing down. And the markets didn't suffer that much, they were held back slightly. Um, and, and I think it's really hard for journalists right now. I think it's really difficult because they've got no bad news. So what are they going to do for a living? They'll just, as per normal, make much of it up, invent it. But the Huawei thing is a good example of how, what not to do. So three or four years ago, a big part of the components for Huawei would come from America or it would come from Taiwan. Now, none of them do. So the thing about being, and it's important for Britain as well, because here we are, we're, we're, we look small, you know, but yeah, we probably are one of the most powerful countries in the world because of the things we're good at, which in 40 armaments, you know, armed forces and soft power. Chinese are huge, and yet who's the most important? Well, China, but in some places, Britain. The USA is important, in some places. So, you know, you see Donald Trump go to Davos, there's half of his army goes with him just to show who he is. Everybody knows who he is. And that was a ploy, it is a ploy, he's got to sign something. Because they're getting hurt. The USA are getting hurt by this. Chinese, possibly. They know no better, they're on the rise. America has been fat and lazy as a country for years. So whenever you get situations like this, it's the ascending power that hurts less. You have to play that carefully. The other thing was uh, quite a bit of speculation from the hawkish kind of Americans about Hong Kong and Taiwan, and that this could lead to a war. You know, uh, and I looked around the audience, and the Chinese were a lot of them, and in the audience as well. You could tell the Chinese they were the ones without earphones on, so they were listening to English. <laughs> Speakers, yeah. you know, and I would agree with you, Daniel. I mean, well, 80, 85%, maybe 90% of the people there were looks Chinese. Yeah. So we, we were getting looked in, at in the street, the back streets, especially by kids going, you know, who are they? They look strange, kind of thing. Um, whereas, you know, you, you wouldn't get that in most places in the world any longer, but there you've got one and a bit billion people the bulk of which will have never, ever, ever seen, you know, a Western person in the flesh. Um, so all of those strange things are there, and yet, look what they're doing. Yeah. So I was asked many years ago, would you rather trust a Chinese businessman than an American one? And my answer was, I would never trust an American businessman on anything, because I haven't, I've never found any you could really trust. It's a lot of noise. And anything that's got to be signed a hundred times by lawyers, intrinsically, is bad. There's something there with them. The Chinese, I wouldn't know. I've dealt with Chinese before in a different business, uh, and they've found to be good to the word. But no doubt, they're business people. Yes, they do copy things, you know, copy handbags, as you know, Mark. You, you were just disappointed that, you know, the thing you spent a lot of money for. Um, you could have got the same thing much cheaper. Um, but I, I think the, the thing for our, our, our people and us to understand is um, Britain has got a great place to play in that juxtaposition, to use your, your word, Daniel, not just between Europe and America, but between you know, America and China. Yeah. And Asia is many times bigger as a market yeah. as Europe the USA and Britain put together. It's much bigger, it's yeah. a huge populations and largely unexploited. So, you know, for us, it's some of our money has to be there in the, in, in, in the right vehicles. I think yeah. that's where the, the real opportunity is. If we think about demographic growth, where, where do we have strong demographic growth? Yeah. Primarily in Asia. Yeah. Maybe not in China because of the past one-child policy, but in the rest of Asia, we're seeing significant growth. If we think about where GDP per capita has gone over the past uh, 10 years. It's went from $1,000 to $10,000. Yeah. 
that's a material change, a very significant change. But more importantly, that's driving growth in consumption. And that's really important for the domestic economy. So we've seen the, the consumption market in China increase from about $2 billion to something that's a $7 billion consumption market alone. And the economy started to transition away from one that's around manufacturing to something that's a serviced and consumption-based economy. Well, you could see that in terms of consumption, just you know, the hotel, nice hotel where yes. we were, surrounded by two huge shopping malls in terms of you know, the, the consumers. And again, dominantly Chinese nationals yeah. shopping in there. Yeah. One mall, you know, Chanel, Dior, yeah. Hermes, etc. Super brands, yes. I think you describe it as. I, I kind of took some sound bites away from this because, the, as you'd expect, there's so much content you need to be able to just filter it and, and, and take the bits that we could use. And part of the argument is that built on what David was saying before there, where a couple of years ago it was globalization, synchronized growth with inflation being a threat. They're starting to talk about regionalization now within Asia. So picking out the good areas, those areas that you need to invest. And there's still a feeling from the Chinese community that globally, the rest of the world is underinvested in China. Mm. Now, if we relate that to what we, we're doing here within True Potential and the exposure that we've got to China throughout the portfolios, there's some absolutely fascinating things going on. Another little sound bite, the, the retail market drives 80% of the transactions on the Shanghai Stock Exchange. Mm. Right. They're saying the average holding period for a share is two days. <laughs> now, we're... we're you're not going to get in and out as quickly as that, but it's probably more of a cultural thing yeah. than, than yeah. anything else. We had a, a meeting the other day with one of our managers and they were talking about the Chinese A-share yeah. fund, Jeff, where the, the performance had been... Oh, they've delivered stellar performance. Yeah. And what's that? Why is that? Because a market that's dominated by consumers is very inefficient. Yeah. And with that level of turnover, if you bring process and discipline to it, you can actually extract Indeed. quite significant yeah. alpha from it. And that's, that's something that you know, we will continue to investigate and discuss more, because that is a real opportunity. Just to put some stats around it, so China as a, a share of global GDP is about 16%. What proportion is China in a, the MSCI All Company World Index? Mm. It's 4%. Yeah. Contrast right. that with the US, 24% of global GDP, 60% of that index. So the opportunity for China and the opening up of China um, to, to have significant ramifications for, for financial markets and to create real opportunity, real opportunity to diversify. Were these some of the themes you were picking up, Jeff? Because I knew you and Mark attended a financial markets 2020 yeah. session. And you, you know, because you, you you came out full of ideas and yeah. buzzing, so to speak. There's some of the ideas. And some some of that builds on what we've talked about the opportunity in China, um, particularly the diversification that it provides. So the Chinese market is is much less correlated with global markets. Right. So building on our theme of diversification, that really works. Hmm. It's not just the equity market, it's the debt market that's opening as well. And that's one of the things that we saw within phase one of the trade deal. The Chinese financial markets will continue to open yeah. to foreign, um, foreign players to enter. I think the other thing for us that's worth considering is just how the rest of Asia is benefiting from, from China's development. Be that with increasing manufacturing, moving to likes of Vietnam, Malaysia and other areas, that presents a, an opportunity. I think one of the key things that I took from that session was around the action that Chinese companies have already taken to streamline their operations. So they've taken a lot of cost out, and that's similar to, to what we've seen across Asia. Why is that important? It'll give us earnings growth as the top line growth yeah. environment for these businesses starts to improve, and hopefully that's something we see as we go through this year. So it creates an opportunity in Asia, creates an opportunity for emerging markets, which we can then exploit for our clients within the portfolios. Perfect. And another stat, Dan, is quite, in a way, awe-inspiring that if the Chinese domestic market is opened up to global companies, it could increase world GDP by 20%. Right. And thus, that is why China is important. important. As you say. Yeah. And, Mark, I mean, you know, between the lot of us, we... It was 47 sessions, and I think we tried to <laughs> spread across as many of them as possible to, to immerse ourselves. Um, top session, Mark, you attended? Um, 
The, the, if I have to pick one, Dan, it was the, the China investment opportunities um, because that's relevant to what we're doing here at True Potential. Uh, but there was others that were linked to it about the, the shifting supply chain for Chinese industries. You know, chips, not bricks, which was quite interesting that you get some, some in stats out of that as well. And just the, the way that the country is forward thinking. You know, the 24% the of the population under 25s have got a degree qualified. Yeah. One firm that we saw on stage represented was a company called Four Paradigm. Five years old, 700 employees, two-thirds of those employees are in R&D. So they are not looking backwards, they are looking forward. And that's the, that's the real message. I, I went out there with two questions in my mind. Um, does China move with the rest of the world or does the rest of the world move with China? And I think that we're on the tipping point to that being the latter. Right. Certainly in the next five to ten years, I think the rest of the world will have to move with China. And that, I think that was very much the point of... Madame Fu, Madame Wu was making in that, that discussion <laughs> yeah. around the, the changes and the, the political dynamic of how it's evolved and how that relationship, whilst it was in one position before, that position is going to have to evolve and the world will have to recognise to an extent some of the leadership that China's actually bringing to the table um, if we're going to continue to, to evolve. And I suppose that was the interesting thing. It wasn't about coupling, it was about decoupling, yeah. and decoupling not just around economic growth, but also around the technology area, which we've discussed already. Yeah. David, any key takeaways? Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what you've got is, just by wandering around, which I think is, just by wandering around in any area, um, uh, unchaperoned, whatever, you feel very safe there. Yeah, you feel very safe. It wasn't the traffic I thought it would be. It wasn't the bicycles I thought it would have been. You know, just you know, um, they've, they've, they've advanced from bicycles maybe to motor scooters or whatever. There a lot of those knocking about. Um, but in the main, people were in cars or in taxis or in public transport, and it was not like I would say. Also, you can tell how people do that: open the door for you, this and the other. Um, no, they don't. But they don't in London either, you know. Um, people like me still do, but they don't. They're busy. You know, they, they are busy. They, you, you, you can't hang about. You've got to go. So it's not quite like getting on a tube where you've got to punch your way in and out. You, you know, people are. Um, but away from that, they're very gracious. Yeah. They're very gracious. And they couldn't do more to help you, not just me, but they were doing it with everybody. So you never felt, I always felt as I could ask somebody to help me if I was stuck for something where you don't always feel like. In New York, they'd rather run you over. You know, they, they would. They just make rudeness an art form. They, I don't know why, um, but the Chinese were very different. So I, I felt safer there than I would, yeah. you know, anywhere. Now, now, by the way, I don't feel ever that I'm under threat. No. I think it was, you know what I'm saying. You just, yeah. you know, I don't mean safety as somebody come around and robbing you, but no. that certainly would never, you would never think that you were going to get mugged or any of that there, whereas that part of the UK where you think, because it happens. Yeah, so. I think you're safe, but very well looked after, you know, where you, obviously a significant language barrier, and again, you realise, yeah. Yeah. you know, when yeah. nobody there speaks English, rightly yeah. so, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're going into restaurants. Jeff was our Jeff was our chaperone, <laughs> restaurant chaperone. We we think we got we think we got chicken. I've no <laughs> idea what it is. <laughs> well, I think it was, it was certainly decidedly spicy. It was yeah, if in doubt, yeah. spice it up. Yeah. Um, that seemed to work, which is what we did. But and it was a benefit of everybody in the airplane going home. It was. <laughs> whatever. We got home a little bit faster because of that. <laughs> but um, but again, just even the, despite the language barrier and the, the probably the oddness of seeing us where we because we ate yeah. on a floating barge for want of a better description the last night but couldn't be better looked after no really no um, i think they found us weird they were bemused yeah, by us yeah, you yeah, know yes. we train all the things getting told off but in a yeah. nice fashion yeah. um no yeah. just snatch the menu off no you can have this <laughs> yeah you, you whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> whatever it was they found it you see the english people yeah. Are, are yeah. british people yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. good okay. no i would definitely i mean i recommend anybody to go 
Um, but just to share, uh, for a lot of people, I think a lot of people now are, are much more worldly aware. Um, but just like little things, Thailand, this, this, you know, we've got, we've got people from all over working here. Yeah. And uh, asked the girl who works, who's originally from Thailand, because I know it's a different place to China. Uh, but, you know, how big is, you know, Thailand versus anything? And she had no idea about her own country. Mm. Well, ask anybody else, and they say, oh, about 25 million, 20 million. Of course, Thailand's got a bigger population than the UK. Most people think it's a beach. So where are all those people at? Well, the country's huge. It's a huge landmass. China's a huge landmass. But the difference between China and USA, similar landmass, but USA's got far fewer people per. So the Chinese are. There's a lot of them. There's a massive amount of them. Yeah. More than you can ever really conceive. Um, you know, once again, Hong Kong, years ago, we went to see a village it was 1985, went there, first time went there. And it was a village, it was a kind of show village that showed you and showed you the one television in the village. Seriously, there were, were pigs in the back of the house. Oh, you know, kids dancing for you, this kind of thing. Not a single car on the road. Not a single car. Mm-hmm. So you travelled out, we travelled for an hour and a half, so this thing, travelled back. 28 million people live there now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't go to see it because you think, oh, God, I remember this when it's a bit like you feel old. You know, I remember this when it was a, I remember this when it was a village. Little fields, yeah. Everybody, you know, you know, tower blocks, and obviously they've got a standard tower block, haven't they? They, they just seem to drop everywhere. Yeah. And there are loads of them. So that journey from Shanghai yeah. Airport in is just surrounded by people and blocks all the way, you know, as far as you can see. Yeah. So. The conception of 24 million, that's the ones that can count. That's right, David, um, and you know, they're yeah. saying there's going to be another 144 million Chinese urbanised in the next 10 years. Yes. So that's where the, the, the construction and the, the, you know, the, the resources will go yeah. into housing. I think that's the, the, the important thing for us to remember and for our clients to all remember. It's the, it's the sheer scale that we're talking about, yeah. and yeah. you cannot underestimate that. Mm. It's maybe hard to grapple with it in our own mm. mind, and it is, but it, it can't be ignored. It is real, it is happening, and we have to ensure that we're getting exposure to yeah. that for our clients. Well, it puts high speed rail in, in context. We should yes. send people there already spent several tens of billions of pounds thinking about it. What, it's a railway line from, it'll just drain Birmingham of what brains they've got into, into London. It'll make no difference to Manchester and Leeds. Manchester's uh, a thriving city on its own. But it'll take years and it'll not be delivered to 2040. We were talking to some people who were buying property, remember? Yeah. And he said, you must have bought all the property in Birmingham and Manchester. I said, no, no. Um, oh yes, we have many clients who are buying real estate in Birmingham, Manchester. Because, and he didn't even pronounce it. HC2, I think. HC2, yeah, yeah. Right. And I said, well, that mightn't go ahead. His face went. Yeah. But that's the difference in perception, isn't it? When you think about an infrastructure project in China, it happens in relatively short order. So if you think about some of the toll road companies that presented, they're building 30 kilometres of road. In three months. They, yeah. they, they yeah. were working out. I mean, uh, the, the session I went with artificial intelligence, uh, Daniel, was, I went to two or three of those to try and get my head around it. But there was surely an example in Macau. Macau obviously now is part of China as well, but it's a big gambling place. So they could tell, according to what, what they were saying anyway, I don't know, how much the, the high rollers were spending, you know. This person spending this, so we could tell that. Yeah. But also, they could tell how long it could take to get that person from a certain city in China on these high speed yeah. trains, you know, which are 200 miles, 250 miles an hour, something like mm-hmm. I think Beijing to Shanghai now is less than three hours. But, yeah, yeah. About that. So you wouldn't mm-hmm. think about the hour getting into the, air, to the airport no. and maybe the hour on the plane and, and whatever, you just jump on the train, yeah. get there, which is. The thing, we should take some British people to China and say, this is it. This is, this is, whether we like it or not, they're going to have you for lunch 
unless you do get moving, unless you do join up the different parts of the United Kingdom with proper railways. You don't need HS2 or a vanity project like that. You do need to spend money elsewhere to empty London of, you know. Mm. Uh, so the, 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 the way that the Chinese are looking at it is it's a big country and they know they've got to involve more than just the eastern... Yeah, yeah. The, they've got the, the ambition to do that, but then they've oh, got the scale and they're kind of forced to, to push it well, through. I suppose that's why the river was so busy. It yeah. was all of the, the stones, the gravel, everything that's required yeah. inland to that's continue that development. That's just a tributary. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It wasn't the main river. It wasn't the Yangtze. That's So, you know, where that stuff was going, where, the, you know, mm. where... It, but it was tons of sand, tons of gravel and things. Yeah. So it's obviously off yeah. to build something. Yeah, and of course Shanghai's got the the largest container port in the world, which we didn't see. No, mm. you know, so we never got as far as that. It's still part of Shanghai. But I'm guessing, well, we know we we, we will get out the airport. Yeah. Could see in the distance the sea. Also, it was the Yangtze. Yes. Um, uh, and you know, once again, it it the sheer scale, and the ability to organize that is frightening and I know you need a certain kind of government to do that I'd never want that kind of government here the kind of government we had in the past where you know uh, and also you know divided I mean where you got one country's MPs just stopping the other country doing things we can't you know Britain's going to break into a world power again and do all the stuff it wants needs to do it, possibly couldn't do underneath the European situation. We do need to be able to make decisions quickly and do them, get them going. Once once these things start going, that's fine. I wouldn't be for, I mean, when you were there two years ago, when you were there five years ago, a big part of that financial district didn't exist. Yeah. It was mm. and where those people who lived there. Well, as Jeff says, the Shanghai Tower wasn't there five years yeah. ago. It's second tallest tower in the world now. So, you know, for, for the sake of the, the benefit of, say, 10 million people, a few hundred were displaced. In Britain, it's the opposite. If you've got somebody with a bad leg, that's it. Everybody has to have a bad leg. And we just have to think, and we as a company think that way. You know, we stop labelling. We just treat people, if they can do the job, they can do the job. Exactly the same. That's what I like about the Chinese. Yeah. If you can do it, do you'll, it. You'll, you'll do it. Do it. Yeah. it doesn't matter who or where you're from. It's and just to maybe build on that. It was interesting to note just at the very, very start of the conference when the several central bankers talking about the, the need for for fiscal stimulus and bringing that through. One of the speakers actually mentioned the UK and the need for for investment in the in the north of England, which I thought was was fascinating because to go the whole way to to Shanghai and to hear a former yeah. Reserve Bank governor of the Bank of India talking about that was was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I think pretty wraps things up, gentlemen. Um, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, David. Also, a big thank you to Andy Log and then the team from UBS Asset Management for hosting us over there. It was a privilege to be there and I think hopefully you've all got a real feeling of the insights we got out of there. Um, thank you also to our audience for, for tuning in today and for listening. Um, hope you've enjoyed the insights. Uh, stay tuned for more such videos in the future. Thanks everybody. <laughs>